Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to The Run Through with Vogue. I'm Choma Nardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're so excited to be hosting Vogue's new podcast. So we want the show to be like the chitter-chatter at the end of the weekly Vogue features meetings where all the editors say what they're really feeling. Exactly. So this is basically the Vogue editors group chat. Terrifying thought. (laughs) So Chloe, who are we? Well, (laughs) I started working at Vogue spring of 2011. I was 25, the week of the Met Gala. Wow. And... There's always a sort of frantic energy at Vogue, but that week particularly, there's like an urgency and chaos that's really hard to describe or replicate. This was at Four Times Square. It was sort of an era where everyone wore stilettos all day, and you heard like click, click, clack, 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 clack across the hallway, (laughs) and the vibe was very much like being in an ER but in heels, and (laughs) instead of gurneys, there were clothing racks. Everything felt like very urgent Urgent, and intense. And one of the few people that first week who did not exude that energy was Choma. I was very appreciative of that calm port in the storm. Oh, I think you handled it so well. You always had such a—I just felt you glided in. Oh, well, thank you. You didn't show any nerves. You had nerves of steel and just a really good, fun attitude. And I'd been there—I think by the time you joined, maybe I'd been there a year or two, so it wasn't that— You'd come from the fader, right? You were writing about music. I'd come from the fader. As you can tell, I'm not from here. I'm from the UK. (laughs) Um, And I'd been living in in the US for about maybe like seven or so years. Did you go to school in the US? I didn't. I went to Manchester University. Okay. But I moved when I was really, really young, and but I was kind of like a grown-up when I got to Vogue. (laughs) Uh, Choma's tilting her head in a sort of grown-up-with-attitude way. But this was before the internet was a sort of deeply part of my day-to-day. Now I'm the editor of Mm -hmm. Vogue.com. Things are a lot more serious now. Yeah, I worked full-time at Vogue as an editor in the features department for five years, and then I was missing writing, so I went freelance and have been very lucky to stay in the Vogue family and write for Vogue a lot and feel like I'm part of the Vogue culture. Um, I think Choma and I were excited to do this together because I wouldn't say we have areas of expertise, but we have (laughs) different areas of interest. Choma is a fashion hound. She knows it. She loves it. She's very much inside baseball, I would say, of you. Yeah, I think that's fair. 
And also that you're sort of a, I feel like, I think of you as like a queen of all things pop culture. Like you really, yeah, like, I you love know, pop culture. I love some gossip. Yeah, exactly. Some gossip, <laughs> but also like this is what's happening this week with Taylor Swift. But right. this is also the Rihanna song and mm-hmm. uh, Black Panther. And so I tend to be a little nerdier and I'm more interested in like the new David Hare play about Robert <laughs> Moses and President Macron's new, like, fashion pivot with his turtleneck. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, Chloe and I really complement each other. You know what I like? I think there's a little bit of healthy tension and fun yeah. and humor. You know, we're not afraid to argue with each other or take different sides. I I think Chomo I, was pro Kim Kardashian yeah, Maryland you know, dress. I, I tend to be a little bit softer in my opinions. Uh. <laughs> But um, that poor dress. Yeah, I think if it if it's a if it's a great fashion moment, I'll forgive a lot of of other sins. <laughs> um, but that's just me. And we have so much fun talking generally about our interests and about the headline. Just hit record. <laughs> <laughs> so this is sort of a natural extension of what a conversation, what being on a, a fly on the wall with with Chloe and I would be when we're just catching up about what's happening yeah. in the world of fashion and in the world around fashion and culture. Okay, Choma, it's time for our favorite headlines from this week. The big story this week is obviously the midterm elections. Don't worry, team. Typically, we will start with something a little more classically Vogue or fashion, but this week, voting is in Vogue, and so it's the top story. The election results were not the ones that many people were expecting, certainly not what the Republicans were expecting, which was a red wave. Um, More of a ripple, I would say, right? Yeah, it was just a little, a breath, a sort of, (laughs) a red, (laughs) we are grateful, we are grateful. (laughs) As, you know, everyone keeps banging on about, typically the midterms are a repudiation of the party in power, so that's why everyone was so worried, or Democrats were so worried, I won't say everyone, and that is not the result that came to pass. It was a particularly bad night for Trump Republicans. Trump was pissed, according to Maggie Haberman. Right, and wasn't he blaming his his wife, Melania? Never thought I'd say this, but poor Melania. She's just minding her own business, watching Real Housewives of Atlanta at Mar-a-Lago, and this Oompa Loompa barges in blaming her for Dr. Oz losing. Let's be honest, Melania was not his problem. Crudite, among many other things, was Dr. <laughs> Oz's problem. Uh, that is no one's fault but his own. Uh, <laughs> But we love Fetterman, right? Oh, I, that to me was the most exciting race to follow. Yeah. It was like this operatic highs, lows, evil, you know, winning. It had all the characters and all of the the thrill. And I think Fetterman is, I find him extremely appealing. I think his wife is a very exciting yeah. sort of next generation of uh, political spouse. She's outspoken. She's an activist. Um, she has a, an amazing immigrant background story. Mm. Uh, Emma Spector did a profile on her for Vogue.com that was really interesting that that did a great job of sort of laying out who she is. So I'm very excited for them as the first family of Pennsylvania. I do have a question, being Uh-oh. a Brit and not voting and not being able to participate in this great... You're like my, my <laughs> already my two-year-old who got his I'm a future voter sticker. I'm, I'm a future voter. <laughs> future voter. What is a runoff and why do we need it in Georgia? Because I'm very troubled by Herschel Walker. I know. And Raphael Warnock's so such a cutie. Yeah. Um, he actually came by the offices. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Was he adorable? Yeah, he's great. All he's right. great. Very compelling. Is it rude to call him adorable since he's this impressive politician? No, I, I, to me that's, <laughs> that's, that's a compliment. War, war, yeah, okay. warm and adorable. <laughs> so Georgia has to have a runoff because that state requires a candidate receives 50% in order to win. And wow. it was so close 
that it was like 49.4 for Warnock and 48.8 for uh, Walker. And there's this libertarian candidate, I think his name is Chase Oliver, who got 2% and Mm. pretty much screwed the pooch for Raphael Warnock. This seems so unfair, so we'll have to wait to December. Yeah, which is what happened last time, too. Hmm. We need a feel-good story. Who is kind of like a well, young, I mean, thank unexpected God, person? Hokel won against Lee Zeldin. That's an you right. know, a upbeat yeah. moment well, that for everyone because that was <laughs> slightly terrifying. And then I don't. I was impressed. There was this great twenty-five-year-old um, Gen Zer Maxwell Frost who is uh, just one for Congress in Florida. On Fox News, everyone was talking about DeSantis as he was their big winning moment of the night. And so Maxwell Frost was a nice um, sort of uh, juxtaposition to that and really felt like a a hopeful um, Gen Z future of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I hope he can shake things up. Okay, well, in Vogue world, the big news was J-Lo on the the December cover. J-Lo forever. Oh, J-Lo, J-Lo, that cover. The December issue of Vogue. You know, her in that red Valentino dress. Fun fact, that's actually a reference to a Gordon Parks photo of Eartha Kitt from Life. Oh, cool. Anyway, we should get down to what was in the interview. Uh, Yeah, the piece was written by Rob Haskell, who's sort of a master of the celebrity interview genre, because it really is an art form, trying to get them to open up to you, but also probing deeper. And he is so good at that. And you, this interview really proves that, because she is... So intimate with him. You get such a warm portrait of who she is. It's very emotional, uh, very tender. A little cheesy for my taste, but that's fine. You know, live her, live her truth. I'm here for the cheese. Yeah. So, Chama, fashion had a big night this week. CFD Awards. CFD Awards are, what would you say, like the Oscars of fashion? Yeah, something like that. And it's a little, it's not quite that. It's, uh, let's say the Independent Spirit Awards of fashion. The Gotham Awards of fashion. Sure, sure. <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, the biggest takeaway was, wow, we've we've got this new generation of young talent. There were so many names that were nominated that were brand new that I think a lot of people in the audience might not have heard of. And it feels like, a, you know, there's this this kind of like awakening for New York fashion. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think it was cool. I mean, particularly love that Raul Lopez of Loire won. He's someone I've been had my eye on for a long time. And such a great designer and really cool. He won cool. Accessories Designer of the he Year. He won Accessories Designer of the Year and gave a super emotional speech, which was really moving. Talked about his family and, um, yeah. Where's his family there? Um, I don't know if his family were there. You know who was there was Cher, which was amazing. Oh, with the 36-year-old boyfriend? No, but I had my eyes peeled for a sighting. <laughs> I have been in a bit of a TV rut. I'm a big... Um, BBC BritBox fan and been watch a lot of Miss Marple and <laughs> really could use a new show. So the uh, airing of White Lotus uh, last week has been thrilling to me. The first season I thought was brilliant and I'm delighted by this season so far. It's all new characters except for Jennifer Coolidge set in Sicily. First season was set in Hawaii and it's Mike White writing it again. He wrote and directed every episode and it's the same, just blissfully savvy skewering of the upper class. Oh. Right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I was getting withdrawals after Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. And did House of Dragons. Mm-hmm. So I always need a Sunday night fix. And, and like, White Lotus continually delivers. Yeah. And you can obviously read about all of these things on Vogue.com. J-Lo, White Lotus, CFDAs, The Election, Giselle Fetterman. We're going to take a short break. 
Then we'll hear from Serena Williams and Black Panther costume designer Ruth Carter. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. It was just a few months ago that Serena Williams announced that she's taking a step back from tennis. And that was in the September issue of Vogue, which was pretty major. But ever since, in Serena fashion, she's staying extremely busy. It's hard to keep up. She's written a new children's book that's already a bestseller, The Adventures of Quay Quay, with a matching doll. And don't worry, Quay Quay has over 300,000 Instagram followers. And we'll hear more about being a mom, a business powerhouse, and venture capitalist with Serena Ventures. But here's something about Serena you might not know. I love comics. I don't know if anyone knows that about me. I've been in love with Marvel Universe for a very long time. So obviously when Black Panther came out, I already knew about it. I've been following, um, in particular, I followed the Avengers for a while before the movies came out. Honestly, it was animation that I followed and then the comics. So I really kind of know all the back history and the backstory of all of them. As a kid or like as you were older, when when did it start? As a kid, I was more into um, DC comics. Okay. So it goes way, 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 way back. I mean, I'm talking about the super old Superman from forever ago. But I think everyone fell in love with Marvel because they did so much with everything, you know, and they just started hammering out amazing movies. And so ever since I can remember, I've just been a fanatic of comics. And then through that, I just like obviously started watching animated stuff and then fell in love with Black Panther, too. I think everyone fell in love with Black Panther. I'm pretty much just a comic head. So I like I liked all the (laughs) comics. And did did your sister like them too? Like, was it a family thing? Yeah, she liked them too. We never really collected them, which was a shame, but she always kind of enjoyed them as well. And, you know, whenever you can kind of be a superhero in your mind, it just kind of is cool, you know, or you just have this feeling of something greater. I've heard you said before that it's a tie between Iron Man and Black Panther as your favorite character. What is it about those two that really sticks out to you? What What is it about superheroes that you find endlessly kind of captivating? Well, first of all, I love this conversation. Second, um, 
second. Um, you know, one thing I love about the Marvel universe is that a lot of their superheroes are just geniuses and things. I just really think that's really cool. And I mean, I like Black Panther because someone I can relate to, he's black and that was kind of cool. And it makes you think of Africa and what could have been in Africa and if Africa was able to hold their resources, their natural resources. So, yeah, you know, it just makes you think. I think the whole story of Wakanda just kind of makes you think. I love Iron Man, too, because, I mean, he's Iron Man and he's awesome. And and I love how he's a genius. I love how his superpower is like his brain. That just, like, is (laughs) It's more reasonable in terms of, like, okay, my brain is not definitely not my superpower. But I have a better chance of that being my superpower as opposed to, like, being able to fly, you know? So, (laughs) yeah, I think I I like Iron Man because he's someone that I think a lot of people can relate to more, per se, than, than not. Is Olympia into comics yet? She is. And so she wants to watch the Avengers, of course, because I still watch the animated stuff. And um, (laughs) they always have new stuff coming out in way different storylines. And she's like, let's watch the Avengers. And I'm like, well, she's five. So maybe (laughs) not. Might be a little mature. So she watched other superhero shows that are more age appropriate. Now let's flash back to when Black Panther first came out. It's a clip from the private screening you hosted. I'm glad you guys can make it out. Obviously, this is a huge moment for us and for, you know, black people. We've never had a superhero movie, so we're so excited. I feel like I've waited my whole life for this, and we're happy that we we got able to, with Black Girls Code, to bring you guys out and enjoy this amazing movie. So I'm glad you guys came. I love Um, you, Serena. I love you, too. It was a super surprise. (laughs) Um, They were super, super excited. And we just wanted to make kids smile and be happy and, and just have a black superhero. It was really cool. I have to say to so many people and to me included, I think you've always been a superhero to watch, Mm. you know, and I think I was watching some of the clips of you as a little girl and the answers that you gave. It was just incredible (laughs) to see how much confidence and how much you were in your power at such a young age. I mean, it must be interesting to sort of see all those things resurfaced on social media and a lot of feelings come up, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I am too, like, how did I say that? Like, why <laughs> did I say those things at that age? Like, wow, that was so insightful. I always say I was way more mature when I was younger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm like looking at some of those videos and thinking, wow, what was I? How did I know to do some of those things? You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Why do you think you were more mature when when you were younger? <laughs> movies like Step Brothers wasn't funny to me, you know, and like <laughs> yeah, you had an old soul, maybe. <laughs> you know, I was like, but now I think it's the most hilarious thing, and I would be so serious back then, and now I just make jokes. So I'm like, yeah, I was serious <laughs> before. So obviously kind of love that you bring this obsession with superheroes into a fashion realm. And let's talk about your famous Wakanda catsuit, the one that you wore at the French Open. Tell me a little bit about where that idea came from and why you decided to sort of merge your two passions. Honestly, I can't take credit for that idea. Nike kind of came up with this fantastic bodysuit. And I've worn bodysuits before, but they were usually shorts. I just had Olympia and, you know, I was coming back and also I have a lot of issues with blood clots. And so 
you know, I always wear like long pants when I'm practicing and playing at that point, because if you look back, I think Olympia was like six, seven months at the time. She was pretty young. Gosh, I can't believe I played when she was six months. Me neither. Wow. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. So basically it was more of a design to help me with that. And, and as well as it was, it was mostly for fashion. When I saw the design, I was just like, I've never worn anything like this. And then for the 2021 Met Gala, you wore an amazing Gucci version of a superhero outfit. It was like an all-silver lace bodysuit with pink stars emblazoned on it and an ombre feather cape. It was sick. <laughs> yeah, I that I can take no credit for, but a little more because <laughs> what they had was something super awesome in lace. And I was like, what if we did like this really cool bodysuit? And they were all about it. They thought it was a really good idea. And then um, they came up with like these stars and they, like they came up with the whole design and the cape was just insane. Like I look at that cape every day when I walk in my closet. <laughs> so it was just like a wow moment. And it was, it was so like, it was superhero because it was kind of the inspiration. I mean, let's talk a little bit about Gucci because I, I think some of my favorite looks of yours have been Gucci and you've gone to the Gucci show and um, several times you're kind of a regular. Tell me a bit about what you love about going to Fashion Week and what it is like to sit front row at a Gucci show, especially when, you're, when your daughter's also dressed as amazingly as you are. You know, that's so cool. And, you know, for me, I'm still like, oh, my goodness, is this too much for her? And then at one point I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I just would like, OK, give her the phone to look at because I'm like, you know, fashion is very avant garde at times. And I'm like, OK, wait, did I think this through all the way? <laughs> um, but ultimately, obviously, I love Gucci. They're a really amazing brand, I think. They really speak a lot of culture when they design and, and the thought process that they go through. And even talking to like the CEO and the Alessandro, the designer, it's just like they love what they represent. And I think that's why they are so good at what they do, because they embrace what they represent and they love it. I've loved the fact that you and Olympia often wear similar outfits. Is she into I get the feeling from your Instagram that she's super into it. Like, is she oh my into gosh, getting she dressed loves up? Outfit. She loves dress up. <laughs> I'll be like, Olympia, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, I want to wear a dress. And I'm like, well, <laughs> why don't we just wear something like this, this amazing romper? I want to wear a dress. So, And she's always been that way, even when she was a baby. Wow. It was like, and my mom, I remember my mom saying, she wants to pick out what she wears. And she's literally always done that. So I think she has like a fashion... I think she has something fashion coming up for her. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely runs in the family. Does she ever comment on your looks? Does she ask to be dressed similarly? Because I think it, it's pretty adorable. No, no, no. I'm all about the Serena, mommy Serena looks. And so is she. So now that <laughs> she's like, I want to wear the same, same. She says, same, same. Oh. <laughs> you describe yourself as always wanting to be perfect at everything, but that you're not a perfect mom and that mm -hmm. it's been one of the biggest challenges and that you've been constantly trying to be better at that. What would you say has been the most surprising challenge about being a mom? Well, I think in the beginning and still now it's the guilt, especially in the beginning, you're like, you want to do so much with your baby. And then you realize that you can't because you still have to like live your life and stuff. And that's hard to like accept. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, you know, you're doing your best and, and there's nothing wrong with doing your best and your best can't actually do everything. Right. You know, and the guilt is real, like the guilt of missing something or that's hard to like kind of put in words. 
but it's it's something that's not very easy, but it's also normal. And I think just understanding that that's normal is super helpful. Right. Do you have like coaches for motherhood? Or do you have people that you go to and ask for advice? My mom. You know, I've obviously always cherished and loved my mom a lot, but I feel like ever since I had a child, it's a different relationship because it's like that woman knows what she's talking about, you know? And if I ever, ever doubted anything, it's like I ask her, especially when Olympia was younger, it's like she's sick or she's this and what do I do? Being a mom is so much about you just basically, you know how to swim but you're just thrown in the deep end and you just have to yeah. swim and you have to survive. And that's kind of how it, how it is. And, and so relying on, you know, a network of people that have been moms or have experiences been really, really helpful for me. You've described yourself as above all, I'm just a mom. Do you feel like your sense of identity has shifted as you move to focus more on your family away from tennis? Like I, I loved in the Vogue piece you opened talking about how Olympia is asking for a sister. Does that feel like more who you are going to be or does it always remain different parts of you that sort of exist side by side? Gosh, I don't know. I think it's, you know, that saying too soon, too soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's too soon. I'm trying to figure out. Like, I just was talking to Olympia. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to take at least, because I'm still running a whole business. I'm like, okay, I'm right. going to try to take one day off a week where I'm with you and I just work on my phone at break times and yeah. I'm not necessarily taking calls. I'm still, it's a still work in progress because I, I do run a company and I'm just trying to figure out how how to make that the best, you know? And yeah. so, but at the same time, I've been working my whole life. So I'm also like, I really want to spend time with Olympia. So yeah, I'm still trying to find that balance. Like if you take a day, a week off, what does that look like with you and Olympia? What does she love to do with you? What, what's the ideal itinerary for a fun day together? I don't know. She loves to play babies where we just sit and like <laughs> talk babies and we have little dolls like Koi Koi. And, yes, the and, book. We love the book. <laughs> thank you. And then we just literally pretend and it's just like maybe not my favorite game, but, you know, it's hers. And so that's what matters. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about Koi Koi and the book and how. Did Olympia help? So Olympia thinks the character in the book is her. And I'm like, it's not really you because Olympia, the baby in the book is like seven and you're five and you just turned five. And she's like, no, that's me. And so it's really funny. And then she gets a little upset when I say that it's not her, but I just think it's the funniest thing ever. So because I remember when I was young, we had to use our imagination so much, you know, and so it'd be really good to have a book where, you know, we're really using our imagination. And then not only that, just believing in yourself and then like having your dog because I, I always I grew up talking to dolls my whole life and I loved dolls growing up I know me <laughs> so, too and my dolls like would tell me things and you know it was like your imaginary friend so I felt like a lot of kids would be able to relate to that especially moms that are talking or dads reading them stories at night and so I thought it was really a good way to kind of segment to a different chapter of Kwe Kwe and what she was doing I mean, I love that Quake probably has more followers than most influencers. <laughs> like, were you surprised at the response or was it what you just sort of felt intuitively that this would strike a chord with people? Yeah, I'm always surprised. You know, it's always like, oh, my goodness, I really can't believe this. But that's just me. And you're just so grateful, you know, to like even have that opportunity. But Quake has so many followers. It's like... <laughs> Seriously, it's a name, right? And so 
And so many people say that they love the doll and, you know, having a black doll, how cool it is that actually is, you know, a character and it's just different, you know? And so that's what we wanted to do. And that was, um, and it worked out. And for the most part, it's just been really interesting to have, have it all kind of come together. Mm. You're extremely busy. It's just one of many things on your plate. I'm really curious about Serene Ventures and which companies you're currently investing in. And I loved reading about how you went to a conference and were shocked by the tiny percentage of investment in black and female companies and that that sort of inspired you to start this, that you wanted to change what that percentage looked like. Yeah, so for me, I've always been investing. Actually, a lot of people don't know. I've invested in a lot of companies. I think I've in my personal portfolio, it's like 70-something companies. And I've been doing that for 10 years now. And so a few years ago, I went to a um, conference and this lady was on stage and she mentioned that less than 2% at the time of women got VC money. I actually thought she misspoke. Wow. Because my mind literally couldn't understand that that was a true fact. And because I'm thinking there's billions and honestly over trillion of dollars, right, of money that's being invested in particular when it comes to VC. I talked to her after and she was like, uh, no, this is true, Serena. And I was like, oh my goodness, embarrassed. Wow. And then, wow, I had no idea. And so kind of prior to that, one of my mentors told me I need to, if I want to be a better investor, I need to like have a, a thesis, like invest for a reason. And I didn't have a reason. I just liked to invest in companies. I liked early startup. And so I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'm- That's you know, good I'm, advice. Yeah, it was really good advice. And so- Literally after he told me that, it was like a week later or two weeks later that I ran into this and I was like, this is what needs to happen. I need to, the only way to change that 2% number is to have women writing checks and writing the big checks and having women invest because like attracts like. And the reason I think that number is so different from between 98% going to one type and then less than 2% is going either women and people of color is because like attracts like, it's mostly men writing the checks, it's mostly men doing the investing. And there's a ton of women that do it. But, and so for me, in order to change that, is chain is to start at the top of the chain and just have women write checks. But at the same time, we invest in everybody because I feel like diversity is really important. Yeah. And I feel like there are firms out there that only invest in women and only invest in people of color. We invest in everyone. You've talked about mentors and inspirations in tennis, Venus, Billie Jean King. Are there new women as you're getting older looking to new things that are sort of new mentors for you that you're really looking to for advice or just for inspiration? There's so many women mentors that I have and that I do lean on. And with that being said, I have a ton of male mentors as well that really has grabbed my hand and helped me through it. And I think some of the point that's missed often is we need not only women to believe in us, but we also need men to believe in us as well because... They're in different positions and they can advocate for us in a different way. So I I think it's important to have mentors in both and you can learn and see different points of view from both angles. Well, you have some in-house help, too. I forget about your wonderful husband who's always on the sidelines and is an incredible True. Uh, you know, I, we, I try not to go for him for too much or else I would be only talking business with him. So we really, really keep it very separate. But every now and then I'll be like, babe, do you what do you think about this company? And he'll he'll tell me the history and I'll be like, okay, thanks. And that's literally (laughs) it. (laughs) And uh, he doesn't ask my advice too much, but uh, (laughs) as he shouldn't, he's like a a mega star in this industry. But yeah, so it's, yeah, it's pretty fun. What does a day-to-day look like for you now? 
Um, I don't know. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> As of now, too soon. I'm still working on my day-to-day. I think it'll take me at least, you know, eight months to get to my day-to-day because I've been doing what I've been doing for 40 years. So I give myself a year to get to my normal. But yeah, I definitely work out. I went for a run today because I'm like, I want to stay fit. I want to stay fit. Oh, and Venus asked me to hit with her because she's still on tour. And she's like, do you want to work on vacation? She's like, will you hit with me there? And I'm like, absolutely cringing, but I'm like, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> so do you think you'll aim for like for fitness? Like what's the workout plan after you don't have to work out as your job? Right. I don't know. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what I'm trying to figure out now. Like, what is that plan? And what is that like happy medium? Because I yeah. definitely want to stay fit. And then I'm like, darn, I can't eat everything now because I'm not practicing and playing. <laughs> I'm not playing five hours a day. So I'm like, okay. That's why I'm like drinking this big gallon thing of water. <laughs> I never get through those things. I usually don't, but I, I would say I get through 50% of the time, That's which is impressive. not bad. It's good. Right? I don't know. I'm just like trying to figure out my new normal, but I'm excited. I'm really excited to figure out my new normal and spend time with Olympia. And I want to take a vacation where I don't travel with tennis rackets, even though Venus wants me to travel with tennis rackets for this vacation. (laughs) Well-deserved vacation. (laughs) Well-deserved. Yeah. Well, we're going to let you go, and but we just want to thank you so, so much for chatting with us. We've been really looking forward to it, and it's such a treat. And we have two goofy questions to ask you before you leave. What's your biggest fashion faux pas or like biggest fashion regret that you have? I don't have fashion regrets. Oh, good answer. Fashion is about time. And then like the things you wore in the 90s or the 2000s, I should say, that was cool at the time. And it was amazing. And it's a cringe maybe now, but it's going to be back in style. And then we're going to (laughs) look back a long time ago and say, wow, we looked good. And wow, you know, so I, I don't have any fashion regrets. And I've worn some really awful things, but, you know, that's (laughs) what I was expressing at the time. And I'm leaning into that. That is the right answer. And we have one more. (laughs) If you had to pick one piece of clothing to bring to a desert island, what would it be? Um, It can't be my phone. No, no technology. Um, No. Piece of clothing, fashion. I would do like a wrap. Like, just a lot of material. <laughs> All right, that's smart. So I can make a dress out of it. I can make a skirt out of it. I can make a sarong out of it. Like, there's so many ways I could go with it. And then that's I could even cut it. I can make myself a knife and cut it and, like, design something. <laughs> See, that's a designer in me. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sharina. It's been a real pleasure. Thank Bye. you. Okay, we have one last interview today. That's right. You may or may not know Ruth Carter's name, but you most definitely know her work. Ruth has worked on more than 50 films and TV series over three decades. Roots, Malcolm X, Selma, Do the Right Thing, and of course, Black Panther. Ruth broke the mold for superhero costumes with Black Panther. She created this incredible Afrofuturist world. It was incredible, and she won the Oscar for it in 2018, making her the first black woman to win in costume design. And Choma had a chance to sit down with Ruth to talk about making the costumes for the sequel, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Yep, that's right. I really loved speaking with her. Well, I'm so, so honored to have Ruth Carter with us on the podcast, an amazing costume designer, Oscar-winning costume designer, and who recently costumed the most anticipated movie of the year, Black Panther 2. Yeah. It was crazy when the trailer dropped. 
it was like the internet went insane and there were these beautiful scenes and I just thought, wow, I'm already excited just from the costumes. Awesome. I'm sure you can't give everything away, but there's a scene where everyone's wearing white. And just tell me how you sort of approached this one differently, because I know obviously you you worked tirelessly on the first one and I'm sure creating a, a sort of visual template to sort of continue to develop. Yes. How did you approach this one differently? Well, one of the big similarities is the, you know, tireless effort to continue the story of Wakanda and then, you know, losing our beloved Chadwick and just uh, ignited more intense purpose, intentionality, um, just the coming together of all of us as a family to grieve because, you know, it was so sudden and we were designing this movie in the middle of a pandemic. So we couldn't, you know, touch each other, embrace each other. It actually all concentrated into our work and into our intention. And we all felt very strongly that he would want us to make this movie. And it was on the shoulders of Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole to write this new story that honored him. I mean, I was quite fascinated by how you prepared for the first movie and with Ryan Coogler's input, the Wakanda Bible. Tell me a little bit about what those initial conversations were like, because I know you expanded that visual language in the number two, color coding. There were some yeah. really significant things sure that there was. were set down. Yeah, we did have the Wakandan Bible that Hannah Beekler and her team put together. And we, you know, cracked that back open again. And we went down that road of color delineation between the river tribe is green and, you know, the Jabari, they honor the wood and the carvings and the brown and the earth tones and the Dormo has the Maasai red and the royal family has the purple. And it was fascinating to work with historians who took a look at some of the images that we collected that were out there and the glorious headpieces and the simplistic weave style. As much as you're also a costume designer, I feel like you're a fashion historian. So many of your movies have paid kind of tribute to major moments in the culture like what goes into that? Because I think that prep mode is probably must take months, right? Yeah, it does. Sometimes you don't have months, but when you're pushed like we were, you take advantage of every week that you get extra. I have hundreds of references and mm. I'm constantly upgrading and updating and I'm taking a more serious approach to, you know, imploring the tribal aspects to this. Mm. And so when I saw how people responded to seeing their tribe, I was so proud. We even had relatives of our cast come to set and they were like, that's my people right there. Wow. And that gave me like so much joy because for so long, Africa was looked at like one monolithic place and people didn't even realize there's thousands of tribes across the continent. And we were only dealing with like eight of them. Mm. And we had to get that right. Tell me a little bit about the early days before you were doing these big, amazing movies. 
Well, I was an acting major and I loved being on stage. Mm. And I auditioned for a play and I did not get a part. There weren't very many parts. And I remember going into the instructor's office and he said, we need costumes. Do you think you'd like to try that? And that opened up a whole new world for me because I didn't necessarily just play one part. I played all of the parts. And I felt like I had also an insight to their process because I had also done some stage work. Mm. You went on, obviously, to do these amazing movies and to recreate some of the most, obviously, culturally impactful people and also in kind of African-American history. I mean, it must be incredible to see your costumes continually referenced on Instagram has a, and social media have a habit of flattening everything. Like, you know, you have history is one continuum, but it must be in, mm-hmm. and the amount of times I've seen your you know, movies that you've worked on, scenes, pictures that have become sort of like iconic and in the culture. Thank you. That's really wonderful for you to say. And I have dedicated my life to this work, you know, coming up, you know, your your path isn't just a smooth one. And, you know, to be here like on this podcast today talking about my work is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for for joining us and doing this and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and I cannot wait to watch this movie um, and enjoy all of that visual feast and I'm sure that breaking down every single scene every single costume that's something that we'll get for for later Um, okay come on back (laughs) after you see the movie come on back we'll have to talk afterwards All right. (laughs) The Run Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment If you enjoyed our show, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends. Please do. And if you want to get in touch with us, send us a note to therunthrough at vogue.com. We'd really love to hear from you. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Cho Minardi. We'll be back next week with more headlines and some amazing interviews. Until next time. Bye. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. And this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.